Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Talk Geek to Me. I'm your host for the show, Deep Geek. Short episode today, just a software review and letters. Turns out that the South American news site that I've made a segment out of has been quite quiet lately, so nothing for that segment, uh, as well as real life rearing its ugly head and a few failed experiments in the old lab. So only the main segment today, letters. Uh, so let's get right into it. Today's software review of Area 2. Area 2 is this cool command line download manager I've been using lately that I want to tell you about. I'm sure you're like, command line download manager, why? Well, the answer is that people who concentrate on really great functionality may not be good at GUI interface design. But this download manager is really great and I want to tell you all about it. Aria 2 is developed and maintained by Tatsuhiro Suzukawa and is written in C++. It's available on SIGWIN for Windows users, Mac ports for OS X users, and as a standard and installable program in all the major Linuxes, and FreeBSD. For most of you, it is, as they say, an apt getaway. It is available in 26 languages, too. Now, you might be saying, okay, what's so great about it? Besides the multi-platform and multi-language support, how about its multi-protocol support? You know, the joke when making fun of TV ad offerings is to say, it slices, it dices, it even makes julienne fries. Well, ARIA 2 does FTP, HTTP, Metalink, and BitTorrent. And just like a TV ad announcer, I can say, and that's not all. If you order now, you also get, you get fast. I mean, I did not know my DSL connection could go that fast, fast. I never saw these numbers before, so I just can't believe it. How is it achieved? We must first look at the two ways of forming an ARIA 2 request. The one easiest to grok first is multiple files. With ARIA 2, you issue a command like ARIA2C-Z, file 1, file 2, file 3, etc. Here, ARIA2C, well, that is just a command. Why the C on the end, I don't know. The dash capital Z is a switch that says, I'm giving you multiple files here. Then each of the files is a standard URI, you know, HTTP colon slash slash blah blah blah, or even HTTP colon slash slash blah 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 dot torrent. In this example, ARIA2 will open up five sessions to the first five files and ask for data on all 25 of these sessions. So all these different web servers begin sending data to your computer, and this maxes out your pipe to the interweb. For example, the other day, I gave it like 10 podcast file URIs. Now, some podcasters use slow web servers, and with Podget, which is a podcatcher written in Bash, it's, you know, the Debian version of Bash Potter, we'll load each file one at a time, and if a podcast is on a slow server, you wait. <laughs> Nonsense. I fed a bunch of links to ARIA2, and all of a sudden, my DSL, and... I'm used to thinking 330 kilobytes per second is good, is running hog wild at 358 kilobytes per second without a falter. Hooray speed, as they say at the Metalinka site. I normally listen to an alternative rock station two counties away over the internet because there's no alternative rock station where I live. So when I'm online, I'm listening to this radio station, and this thing hogged my connection so good it knocked out my internet radio until I was done with my downloads. Yeah, that's great. Now, let's have some more fun here, and let's discuss the second great function of ARIA 2, which is called Adaptive Split Segment Downloading. What a great name for a feature. I mean, if you're a geek, you love, you love good good complex names. Adaptive split segment downloading. Oh. So, 
I like to call it either straddling mirrors or taking advantage of mirrors or abusing mirrors. Here's the deal. You specify ARIA2, C, URL14 file, URL24 file, URL34 file, etc. I did this a few days ago for a Debian ISO image, and I include a torrent too. Five URLs, one of which was a torrent, fall for the same ISO file. Arya 2 went to work on the problem, quickly rejecting one university's mirror is too slow, and opened up connections to the three other mirror websites and to the two best seeders that the torrent had to offer, and download the file fast. I did not get that glorious maxed out connection, but usually during a file like that, I usually see the speed slow down and speed back up again several times. That effect I did not get, because when Aria 2 sees a segment slow down, it favors other servers with more segment requests until the first server gets its act together again. And if the last segment comes too slow, RE2 will cancel it and get that segment from another server. How sweet is that? Now, you should give yourself a few points if you notice something else. You can now immediately see the file of HTTP or FTP-based downloads on BitTorrent now with this thing. Imagine you and your buds want to get a torrent seeding fast. You can all put it on a private FTP or HTTP folder, and you and your friends can all download the file from a private web server quickly, and quickly seed it onto the BitTorrent protocol. There is also every other downloading feature you can imagine, all kinds of resuming options, even proxy options I don't really use. Now, in the last example, you may be saying to yourselves, Selves, this guy thinks Aunt Sally is going to plug 15 freaking URLs into a command line application. No, I am not that naive. And this is precisely why ARIA2 offers full Metalinka support. Metalinka is a XML specification. It is a standard to form a XML file that gives all the details to download a file from multiple locations. There are several Metalinka clients, but this is the one I can personally recommend. Metalink files, that is, files that end with a .metalink, have the work done for you already. That XML file lists all the locations of a file on the web, as well as on FTP servers, as well as on BitTorrent. Metalink was built for segmented downloader programs, of which ARIA2 is one of. At the Metalink site, which is metalinker.org, they brag about their speed records. Cable, 800 kilobytes per second. Fiber, 1.8 megabytes megabits per second. Fast connection at work, 8.9 megabytes per second. That's like a CD-ROM of data in seconds, not minutes. Why connect to 50 BitTorrent seeders simultaneously when you can connect to 50 web servers simultaneously? Metalink files are actively used by such illustrious organizations as Mandriva, Fedora, Ubuntu, OpenSUSE, and OpenOffice.org. Now and Sally does not have to become a full-fledged geek to enjoy fast downloads. So I can give you a hearty personal recommendation for this software. Nido writes, from Belgium, hmm. with the subject line, get this, this is not Viagra spam, this is some geek sending you feedback for your show. That was pretty hard to miss. You know, hello, I just added your show to my podcast list yesterday. I've heard episode one, two, and three. Haven't heard episode zero yet, because something went wrong with, in the recording, which resulted in your skipping over about twice a second. Not really listenable. Anyway, I think I heard you, like, email multiple times, so I decided to send one. I like the Latin American open source news. It's a nice addition. Chances are 
People who listen to your podcast also listen to the Linux Outlaws or any of the other Linux podcasts with a news section. Usually this section focuses on American or European free software news. It's nice to have a podcast cover a different geographical area. I think you made an error with episode 303, though. Latex is not the part that allows for macro creating. In fact, text is the macro language. And Latex is, in essence, a bunch of macros in text. Text the program and co Latex, PDF Latex, PDF text, Vertex, there's almost too much, are the typesetting engines. I could babble on for days about latex, but I doubt it would be productive in this email. Anyway, looking forward to the next episode. Kind regards, Nito. Nito, thank you so much for writing. Can't reproduce the problem you had with episode zero. I uh, checked all the files I uploaded to the server. I, I, I do three formats, FLAC, MP3, and AUG. None of them skipped, and I checked all... Th- I down- re-downloaded them all to see if there's a corruption on the server itself, and none of them skipped, so I have no idea why you're having issues with episode 00, but I have no other complaints, so I don't know what to say about that. I'm so glad you like... You're the first feedback I've received on the Latin American open source news. I'm going to take this feature out of beta, even to know this month there hasn't been... The site's not updated that I read from, which is news.northxsouth.com. I don't want to be a program about reading the news. Uh, I like it because it's different. It's not like anything we hear. I mean, who knew, who knew that they're making games in Cuba and organizations in Bolivia are, are declaring access to the Internet to be a human right? So it's very different. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, when there is news on that webpage I mentioned, is I'm going to read one, pick one good one and read that. But I want this to be about topic, basically because... You know, the day comes when an episode will be old. When the day comes, the news news programs won't be that interesting because they'll be old. I want it to be just an addition to whatever topic I pick for the show. Thank you for the corrections on text and latex. I truly didn't know. I should have done more research and, and made sure I had it right. I should have checked myself out. I appreciate your feedback. Thank you. Ken Fallon writes, Hi, Deep Geek. I was thinking about your excerpt from the Linux link regarding building a GNU-free Linux and in the example they gave, gave was to use BusyBox as a replacement for Userland. I don't think he realized that BusyBox is also a GNU project, and he gives the link to BusyBox's license. In fact, BusyBox is extremely active in tracking down violations of the GPL. I'm not saying GNU-free Linux can't be done, but the guy had better check the copyright first. To which I replied, I said back, Hi Ken, thanks for the feedback. Looks like the trouble with this particular excerpt is that the interviewee states later that he has some kind of new version of BusyBox he is building from scratch. Based on my recalling this and reading the license link you sent me, it looks like a very complicated situation. It looks like different portions of BusyBox are licensed under different versions of the GPL, which is weird, because of their mixed authorship. This excerpt was also from an older episode, so I wonder if BusyBox was always a GNU project. I would not even know how to look into that. Would that be in the change log? Of course, my picking this for my soundbite of the episode is not meant to shed bed light on the GNU project. The whole thing sounds impractical to me. I mean, imagine. No grub, no bash, no parted. I could never use such a system. However, I choose these to be thought-provoking. I mean to raise the idea in the listener's head. What would it be like not to have the GNU and the GNU Linux? Since some distributions take GNU for granted, not even calling themselves GNU Linux, I know that many users must be doing the same, taking that component for granted. The theory of a non-GNU Linux is interesting, just as GNU slash FreeBSD is an interesting idea. You know, what would GNU Linux be without the Linux part? 
I definitely have to read this email in response in my next episode. Thank you for the great feedback. Postscript, maybe the subject line should be non-GNU Linux, not non-GPL Linux. To which Ken replied, Hi, DG. It's a very cool topic to bring up and got me thinking a lot about the subject. People argue you should name a distro Linux, GNU, MIT, BSD, Apache, etc. But your segment shows that every distro must have some GNU tools. You simply can't have one without the other. So I suppose RMS has a point when he goes on about GNU Linux. You have managed to make the argument clearer for me than all the interviews and posts I've come across from RMS. Ken. Now lastly, I got an email. This is a little hard for me because I don't feel comfortable reading the whole thing. Basically, one of my MySpace, MySpace friends wrote and, and said, No rush for a response, but I need some directional advice from a professional. Out of all my friends on here, you're the one person, you're the only person who is in a career field that I truly aspire to learn and grow in. And then goes on to talk personally about his trouble breaking into the computer field. And in response to this, I had to point out that I am not in the field anymore and gave him some tips about networking that I could think of as a person not in the field. But I didn't want to leave it hanging because I had a nice phone call. Someone called me and told me that I'm definitely knowledgeable. I'm flattered that people can draw the the assumption that I am uh, some kind of highly paid uh, computer executive or something, even if that's the right way of putting it. So I want to use this letter as a segue and kind of philosophize freely about the advantages of not being a professional. People have this idea, in order to be truly knowledgeable of something, you have to have a job in it. And it's simply not the case. It's not the case. There's an interesting fellow on the other side of the pond. His name is Charles Leadbeater, and he wrote a book called The Pro-Am Revolution. And we can't get it here in the States. I already checked it out on the used book source I like to use. Or at least I don't think we can get it here in the States easily. He discusses, he worked with a think tank and discusses the idea of the professional amateur, which is the, which is a grade between amateur and professional. There's a great video clip on YouTube, Charles Leadbeater, if you want to check it out. He brings up some interesting points, such as the fact that corporations, by their very nature, cannot make big innovative jumps. They have to build upon their past successes. They can't disturb their client base. So they have to make slow and incremental advances. This is this is a problem because it means that they're locked into whatever their, per- their particular history is. Whereas amateurs, real rank amateurs, people who just... I don't know. Just use the computer to to, uh, to send instant messages, I guess. Don't come up with things. But in our day and age, times are changing, and people are becoming... So there, there is a small group of people out there who um, work on their hobby. They work on their hobby, and they those are the people who can come up with truly radical, different things. The example Charles Ledbetter uses that I like so much is he talks about, imagine a boardroom of an RIAA 30 years ago, and imagine some guy walking in, Atlantic Records, or whatever the name of the, the record is. Some guy walks into a, a, a big label company and says, I have a brilliant idea, let's create a new genre of music. We'll base it on the idea of disenfranchised black men uh, expressing their feelings about being disenfranchised black men and have them do it in heavily accented rhymes with rhythms in the background that most people find initially hard to understand. Imagine the result. Imagine, imagine how it would be laughed out of the room. Yet this is precisely what rap music is. 
And so what you have is you have these people who went out there and they didn't look for a nod from a big company to invent something. They went out there and they record themselves. They used their own tape decks at home and they mixed it however they mixed it and they created the tapes and they even sold it in the streets at bus stops and whatnot. There's got to be a middle ground between amateur and professional. I said that I'm not in the field anymore, but that doesn't mean I never was in the field. But I was so disillusioned at not being able to make any recommendations whatsoever because I was just a peon in the field. I said, you know what? I'd rather work in another field because I care about computers too much to have you tell me how to do things wrong without giving me any feedback. And this is something that's a big deal. These in-betweens, they don't want to be professionals. I do not want to be a computer professional. If I'm a computer professional, I gotta be told what to do. I gotta deal with authority. And when I come up with a good idea, and if it's not, if it disturbs the powers that be, it can be shut down. No thank you. What amount of money can you offer me that would make that worthwhile? Tell me. How much are you going to pay me? You know, and of course, of course, money itself corrupts. Maybe they could pay me some sum of money that would make me putting up with that situation tolerable. I mean, I happen to be going through a book on the company Walmart, and some of their former managers would never consider doing to employees the things they've done to employees, but the money was so good that it made it worthwhile for them to behave that way toward their employees. There's a matter of money making things corrupt. Now, trying to research this, there's very, very little out there I could grab a hold of, but I did manage to come by a article, um, an article on an online computer magazine where the guy was talking about bloggers and talking about how they aren't that great and none of them are self-sufficient and they aren't journalists. Well, you know what? They don't want to be journalists. If they want to be journalists, they would have gone into the field. Think about journalism and think about what it was like before the Internet. You know, you'd have these, these people who worked close to this corporation who would write these articles and put them in the newspaper. And if you want, if you had to answer them somehow, they had letters to the editor and the op-ed page and you were fit in to a couple of inches of column there. So what does that mean to someone who has real input to give? It means he might as well not even try in that situation. I respect the journalists. I respect the journalists and the training and what they do and their ability to develop resources, etc. But the problem is is that they're censored by the powers that be. Not a lot of people know this. Um, I don't remember the exact relationship. I am going off the top of my head for this. But the company that owns... Either either the company owns GE and NBC are the same, or NBC is a division of GE, something like that. And you will never find a really scathing expose of nuclear power on NBC. I mean, they will relay news, but they will always and consistently be the kindest to the nuclear industry because GE builds nuclear power plants. And the best uh, journalistic expose could be written on the nuclear field, and the powers that be at NBC would not publish it every single time. Bloggers don't want to be journalists. Podcasters don't want to be radio men. They just don't want it. It's a matter of it's a matter of integrity. I did my last show. I did a review of a book about 
how young people look at the world, people who are raised in the internet generation as opposed to people who are raised before the net. And at one point, I remember the guy said reputable news sources like the TV stations or like the newspapers. And I thought, well, how is that reputable? They're owned by the man. How is that reputable? How can you get the truth if you've got one corporation at the top saying what everyone can hear? You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's funny to me. There's a reason I got into podcasting. It's because I listen to podcasts. Why do I listen to podcasts? Why? Because I don't think I can get the truth from American news. I don't think I can get the truth from American newspapers. I don't think I can get the truth from American TV stations. I don't think I can get the truth from American radios. I mean, excuse the rant, okay? But that's the way it is. I'm going to be ranting about this now. It's just so biased. It's beyond belief. It's so biased that most Americans think that the BBC is objective. That the BBC is unbiased and watch news from, from across the pond. It's funny. Did you ever read the posting of a British blogger about the BBC? They say it's incredibly biased. Well, you know what? I guess if your choice between an ice cold bath and scalding hot water is your choice in bathing, I suppose the first time you get something merely hot, you'd think, just right, right? You know what I mean? It's bizarre. There's a point of having a level of integrity that makes a professional situation where you have to do as you're told, where where some you go to some orientation meeting and you're wearing your suit and they put a put the the famous and fabled obedience chip in the back of your head. There's the point where that becomes unacceptable to people, and I reached that point in computers. Now, I've through college and worked in the field, and I've known dozens of people, and I have one friend left in the field because they always fire us for cheaper people. That's the way that runs. And the one guy I know left in the field doesn't look at computers unless he's at work because they're no fun to him. He won't consider looking at Linux because that's the impression he's gotten from working 30 years doing as he was told by the peop- by the man. Screw that. That's not for me. Not for me at all. So, rant mode off. Thanks for listening to my rant. Okay, today's closing music will be Highway 99 by Emma's Mini. It's available at magnatune.com if you decide you like it. I'm Deep Geek. I'm your host for Talk Geek to Me. Webpage is talkgeektome.us, all as one word, uh, where you will find a variety of RSS feeds in three different audio formats, as well as show scripts. My personal website is deepgeek.us. My email is dg at deepgeek.us. And if you want, you can email me, and I'll be glad to put you on an email on an emailing list for when new audio is released. Thanks for listening. See you in a few weeks.
That was track number four from the album Beat Generation Mad Trick by Emma's Mini from Magnatune.com. Machines are the future. Humans will bow before us. The singularity approaches. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by Caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.